Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of The Passive Hang. We're at episode 12 and I have another guest for you. It's a really special one. Once again, as always, I have Thomas Emerson who runs Praxis in Canberra. And now Praxis, when you go on their page, I think you'll notice quite immediately how different it presents itself. It's very beautiful. You get the sense that this isn't the usual training facility that's out there. And talking to Thomas, I get the sense that this isn't any ordinary teacher either. Thomas teaches movement practice to a very broad audience and we spend a lot of time in the conversation talking about the applicability of movement practice in terms of developing the self. And I think this is a really tricky area to approach because we can get lost into into the intellectual, into, I guess, uh, into woo-woo type territory. But the way Thomas talks about it, it's very practical, it's very direct. He goes quite deep but he also pulls it back so I think you'll get the sense as you listen into the conversation about Thomas's unique approach to fusing I guess the deep and complex understanding and knowledge that he has to actually providing it as a platform for learning to other people. Thomas himself is also a model for change as he explains his personal story he came from years of deep chronic back pain to transforming himself and you can see that as you go onto his page doing all manner of crazy superhuman things you might even say and so I think this guy really walks the walk and through Praxis his movement facility he is also helping others walk that same path so I won't spoil anything else for you I'll let the conversation be taken in just as is uh, thanks once again for joining me. This is episode 12 of The Passive Hang. My name's Fayon, and here we go. Let's kick it off. Welcome to The Passive Hang. This um, is another episode. I think you'll be taking it up to episode 12, and I'm really excited for this one this week. Uh, we have Thomas Emerson, who's in, oh, you're in Canberra at the moment and you run the Praxis facility up there. So I've been following that for a while now, and I think it's, it's probably stood out to me as one of, probably one of the most beautiful movement spaces that, that I've seen. <laughs> Just the way it's, it's decked out, um, a lot of natural woods, all that sort of thing. Uh, and so, yeah, I've been looking into the work for, for a while, and I've been, uh, I was really excited when you responded back to me, and then we're up for this chat so yeah i i think just a nice warm welcome to to you thomas thank you yeah thanks for inviting me um and i'm glad you've been following along and you've noticed that we've put some effort into making the studio look and feel (laughs) a certain way Mm -hmm. Um, yeah was that like all from your your personal design um did you help construct it as well yeah, so we were in a smaller facility for two years prior. We moved into the new facility, which I'm sure is the one you're referring to, in mm-hmm. October of last year. And the smaller facility was just in a kind of old office space and a kind of semi-industrial building that we had gone mm-hmm. for because it was cheap uh, and it was near near where I was living. Yep. And we just did like a minimal fit out on that. We made it as nice as we could, but we didn't spend any extra money on making it nicer than it needed to be. Like it was just a functional um, fit out. And so for this space, when we moved, uh, we put a bit more effort into trying to make it beautiful. Um, 
because I think that does change your experience, right? Like that was my realization early on and actually one of the reasons I wanted to start a facility. Uh, I wanted to start a facility, some sort of facility before I got into movement um, mm. because I noticed that we lack, we don't have that many community spaces in Australia and it's something that's really common in other countries that I've visited mm. um, where people just go, you know, you've got like that barbershop culture in the States, for instance, yeah. um, and on a trip in South America that I took in 2014, there were like community centers on every block. Um, mm. And so trying to make the space feel a certain way was important to me because it, it does affect your experience, right? Like it immediately changes the way that you, not just the way that you feel, but then you start perhaps thinking different ways and you see it as mm. a space that provides opportunities for certain kinds of movement, obviously. Um, so yeah, we just kind of hooked into it on a, it was a cool process actually we're just making decisions along the way um mm. i didn't construct it i'm like completely illiterate when it comes to construction um, <laughs> like even hammering nails you wouldn't want me doing that job um, but I'm, not bad at, I'm not bad at managing things so <laughs> we yeah. had two of our students um jack and tom who were carpenters and mm -hmm. so we had them help with the fit out which was awesome because you know you always get a better job from someone who's going to use the use the thing mm. that's being constructed and they knew exactly what we were going for. And yeah, lots of the decisions were made together um, between me and them. And then also the other tradespeople was that, which was actually kind of cool. They're the experts, mm. right? What do I know? But <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. That's really cool that, you know, there were people that kind of share within your vision, like directly because of the involvement of the use of the space, they actually were involved in that construction as well. And I think that's a really imp important point that you, um, brought up before about this, um, how the environment shapes how you experience as well. Um, I think that's, you, you notice somewhat subconsciously and consciously when you walk into a space, which has been, which elicits a certain feel. And, um, I mean, I've never been there. I, I really look forward to the moment where I, I can step in, but even just visually, I, I can feel that there, everything's been done very purposely to, to elicit a certain sort of mood. Yeah, a hundred percent. We that's why people move cities, right? When they want a big change, like they change their environment because we know how much mm. the environment is affecting us. Mm. Um, and unfortunately, many of us aren't in the don't have the opportunity to cultivate an environment that would affect us in the ways we might want to be affected. Yeah. Right. So if you're if you're in an office all the time and you've got those fluorescent lights shining down on you and perhaps not much natural light coming in, no access to mm. outdoor spaces, it's like it's a gradual effect, but it's a, it's a real one, you know, that really changes who you are. Uh, and we know that yeah. because if you, if you grow up in one culture and I grow up in another culture, then we meet, then that's had like the biggest effect on us as individuals, right? Is the environment, mm -hmm. not just the physical, yeah. but the cultural environment, the social environment too. So taking some deliberate actions and in, in cultivating one's environment, I think is, is really fundamental and, and unfortunately missed a lot of the time when people, start setting out on trying to change themselves right because otherwise you're swimming upstream you're constantly swimming upstream like you might change and we've had i'm sure you've had this experience when perhaps yeah. when you got into the movement stuff like if the people around you who weren't into it right are like what's this you're all of a sudden mm. a weirdo for being into something that doesn't fit in the yeah. norms of that social environment and then that's like exhausting. You can manage it for a while on this like crusade of, you know, <laughs> practice, you know, and, that, and that's why everyone starts preaching as soon as they get into something new because they need, need new friends to, mm. to surround themselves with to make it sustainable. Um, 
and that that step has to be taken at some point right because otherwise you're just this lone wolf on a crusade forever yeah you need that environment to change and 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 to adapt to you just as you adapt to it right yeah the, um it, again really interesting there because um when you mentioned that about that lone wolf it makes me think of the time when um I was overseas for, for two years and there was a big stint there where I was kind of like in the mountains of Japan. I wasn't alone, but I was working at this, um, this, uh, old, old hostel just in the middle of the mountains. And I was like, great, this is the time where I can really sit down, focus on, you know, trying to learn about this movement practice. I was also doing some music stuff as well. And then I can learn Japanese. Um, the Japanese thing worked really well because yeah, I was just surrounded by, other Japanese people, right? That was, that was the environment. But the other things, um, yeah, that was, that was actually quite a struggle. Like I was, I was quite driven. I wanted to keep on moving forward, but then I compare it to, to now when I'm in Melbourne and, um, you know, I'm, I'm surrounded by peers who also are into say like the movement practice. It's far and away, like the better learning experience. You know, I used to fantasize about having all this time for myself and working it out for myself. And that would be the ultimate way, but that's far from the truth. Yeah. There's a romantic idea of that, that lots of us have, particularly when we're young, mm. right? Like that, that I'll go off into the mountains. Like you did it literally and perhaps some of us, <laughs> you know, figuratively, but um, it's not always up to you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and out. Um, yeah, I had a similar experience in, in that, that trip that I mentioned, learning Spanish. It was like get immersed in it and you learn it. And um, mm. I think I think it's important to get exposed to other cultures to see what's different about yours, right? And then start to reflect yeah. on hmm, maybe there are elements of that new culture you're exposed to that you want to incorporate into your life and your friendships, your relationships, your practices. Mm. And maybe there are elements of yours that you want to, you know, suppress perhaps or, or, or shift. <laughs> Um, but also maybe there are elements that you don't want to adopt. Like we need to always keep that. The idea is the goal is you generate some critical distance. So you have a bit of an overview of, of all of the options, right? And then you can go mm. into each of those options one by one and see, like try them on and see which suits you, right? Like try mm. on different cultures, try on the different uh, personalities, perhaps of the people that you look up to uh, and then see, oh, I like this part of that, of that, what that person's doing. And I don't like this part, which is why we care about role models. Like, all the adults always talking about role models, right? And that's because they're the people that we imitate. So um, mm. we become them or some sort of mixture of them over time. Yeah. And I guess that exposure to lifestyles outside of directly the one that you're always used to then kind of give you more of this active choice into choosing your own journey or destiny. Right. Um, and I love how you mentioned how you noticed like the community spaces over in America. And that's like also what you wanted to bring, bring back to, to Canberra. But um, yeah, I guess we're um, getting a bit ahead of ourselves as well. Cause I'd, I'd love to <laughs> dig into, you know, all the um, reasons for starting practice and stuff, but maybe just starting from yourself as well, I guess. Yeah. How did, how did you get into all the, all of this? Maybe if we, keep it a bit movement specific or if you want to open it up to a bit more general as well like yeah a bit of intro and background as to who you are and how you got started sure yeah i'll, I'll interrupt me if it's not brief enough right um, <laughs> yeah i was always training in some way like i played lots of sports growing up like so many of us do in australia and um, i started 
doing kind of strength training outside of the sports and trying to get fitter for sport and that sort of thing. And also to get in shape when I was kind of relatively young, like I guess I was doing some sort of bodyweight strength training at around the age of 12, 13, and then took that into the gym um, probably at 14 or 15 and was just doing your conventional stuff, right? Like what my friends and my brother had showed mm-hmm. me, like, this is what you do. Okay. This is what we do. Um, and, and I was playing rugby. I played rugby and cricket growing up and rugby was my kind of main sport. And of course the, the idea there is to get as much muscle mass onto your body as possible. Um, and it works like, especially when other people aren't doing it. Like if you've got five or six guys in your team and you're 15 years old that are lifting and everyone mm. else isn't, then, then like it does make a difference. So, mm. um, I was doing that. And then once I left school, I took that, uh, another trip previously to the one that I had already mentioned and that created a break where I stopped playing, stopped playing rugby, stopped playing sport. I came back and played a little bit, but I had started getting injuries, which I mean, almost everyone does, uh, in rugby, they get injured at some point. <laughs> um, yeah. So I had like many, many sub subluxations of, of my shoulder. I got to the point in the last season I played where it was just going out every game and we would, you know, I didn't know, I didn't know anything better at right? like the, the physio, the team physio said, we can either strap it up or you can get surgery. And I said, well, which one lets me play, play next week, right? Let's strap it up. So that's what we did. And it's just incredibly loose. It would go out like lying in bed, jumping into pools, like, you know, doing very, uh, not extreme movement activities. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's, that's crazy. Yeah. I, like I can't even imagine sort of living with that sort of i mean each time it it like really hurts right like each time yeah. it, i've i've had a just just once on um my right shoulder and that was yeah i mean that's been kind of semi haunting me ever since but mm-hmm. i can't even imagine if it was going out like every single week yeah yeah it sucks <laughs> it sucks it never stayed out for longer than like maybe five or ten seconds mm-hmm. um but while it's out you're 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 panicking <laughs> until it goes mm-hmm. back in um, and I also developed, I had my first back injury when I was 16 that mm-hmm. happened playing. It was the combination of bowling and cricket and playing rugby. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a spondylolisthesis, which is where one of the, one of the vertebrae slips forward of, of the one below it. And there were two fractures associated with that. And that, uh, I've had back problems, many back problems in my family and that became a chronic mm-hmm. issue. Um, mm-hmm. it ended up being an issue for seven years after that. I didn't know that's what was happening at the time, right? Like I couldn't touch my, mm. couldn't touch my ankles, let alone my toes at that time. Mm. Um, and I've got a doctor's report saying that when, when I had that injury. And so I ended up in, in, in pain. Like I was in, that term gets thrown around a lot, um, but I was in chronic pain for, for mm. many years. Again, like while you're in it, you don't realize, oh, this, this problem will go away. This will get resolved, but mm. it didn't. Um, and it was the most... I was most aware of it when I was sitting. So I studied philosophy after, after school, I went to uni and studied philosophy. And when you're studying philosophy, you're spending a lot of time sitting. Um, there's no field work for philosophy. <laughs> it's just all done from the chair. <laughs> <laughs> um, mm. And my brother had had similar issues and he was uh, also spending a lot of time studying and had come across a couple of amazing teachers. Um, Ido Portal, who, who everyone knows or knows of at least. Um, in our community and our kind of domain and Simon Sokor, who's based in Australia, who's Australian and, and is also an amazing teacher. 
um, of mine and they've remained my teachers since then. So I started learning from the two of them and mm. the things that I was learning were helpful, right? Like I had, obviously I had, had seen physiotherapists and surgeons mm. and surgery had been recommended and these sorts of things, but um, I didn't go down those routes. Well, I did for a long time, but they weren't working. Mm. Uh, I started exploring on my own and started to try to figure out, come up with my own hypotheses about what was going on and see mm. if I could resolve these things myself with the help of the material um, and perspectives that I was learning from, from Ido and from Simon. Yeah, I guess this is quite interesting because like you seem to have experienced this level of pain from quite a young age. Mm. Like um, most of the time when I speak to people, it, um, it comes at, at some point, but normally that's like a quite a, quite a later age, but I can only imagine like you, I mean, maybe because you got into physical training earlier as, as well, but then a series of maybe perhaps unfortunate events. Um, yeah. I can only imagine that after so many years of it, it's, it's natural to just keep on asking yourselves these questions, right? Especially if you're going to like the proper thing of going to the physio, doing what they're saying and it's still not getting better. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, like, I remember very clearly having this visceral realization that maybe it wouldn't get better. Mm. Um, like there was nothing about the cellular structure of my body that necessitated me being out of pain. Mm. Um, and that was confronting, right? Cause I was like, I don't know, I would have been maybe 22 when that, when that happened, mm. that's pretty young to forecast a, you know, an entire rest of your life. I'm hoping it's long in in pain right so um mm. yeah it was kind of miserable but like i'm thankful that that happened because it set me off on this completely different path which has been amazing and it, and it does give me some some sense of empathy for people who are having that experience often like you said later in life mm. um yeah i just would not have learned the things that i've learned without having gone through that to begin with yeah so i guess what you were like sort of searching for answers and then did you mention it was like your your brother had found out about ido um and and simon and through that you got introduced to their work and at at that time when you came across them did did it just make sense for you or because maybe yeah for some other people when they see it it's kind of like oh you know like one arm handstands and all that sort of stuff like i i could never do that like that doesn't seem to apply for me what what made it sort of click for you I think both of those, both of the teachers I mentioned, Ido and Simon, are like they're thinkers as well as as movers. Mm. Like I said, I was studying philosophy, and so if anything, it was their ideas that I found most engaging. Like, of course, the movements—you look at them and they're impressive—and and perhaps that was part of me that wanted to be able to do impressive things, right? Like, <laughs> um, I'm not sure, but definitely the way that they were talking about moving was uh, was something you know and, and physical training in general was something that i hadn't come across before um but there was still resistance like everyone's like that in the beginning i was still doing my gym training right and i was like oh i want to you know i want to keep doing this stuff this is the i've got my routine like i'm very sure <laughs> i had my like you know and i'd been handing off that routine to other to friends and they're like hey this is really like this really works for me but it wasn't helping with my injuries um and mm. then yeah, my brother was doing online coaching with my brother Ben was doing online coaching with Ido and his team. And then he said, I came back from that, that South America trip actually, and had a bit of a, you know, time and a bit of a clean slate. I wasn't in, didn't have any habits. Like we spoke about environment in the very beginning. It's like back mm. home was a new environment. Mm. And he said, Hey man, just jump in on this stuff with me and, and do some sessions and see what you think. And um, 
yeah, it wasn't long after that. Later in that year, I went to my first workshops with both Ido and Simon. Simon runs these retreats, um, like week-long retreats in the bush here in Australia, which are awesome. I went mm. to a couple of them and went to um, one of Ido's week-long events, the European Movement Meeting. It's like five days, and then there was a, an event on the weekend that I, that I attended to. Um, yeah. And was like, okay, this is pretty awesome. Let's 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 dig a little deeper and see what see what comes of it. Yeah. So, at what stage of this um, in in your life was it? Had you sort of finished university? You went on this uh, South America trip, or was that like quite a, an extended trip? And you came back, and yeah, you were in this sort of new, new space of um, devoting yourself to these practices. Yeah, actually, that trip was my the last year of my undergrad, and then I did it honors year afterward. Um, and it was during that time, like the beginning of that honors year, just before it started, where I started training seriously. Mm. So I still spent another year studying. This would have been, uh, 2015, 2016. Yep. Um, I was studying and that, that first happened. I had an opportunity on that trip in Europe. I was there with my brother. We were in Berlin and we spent two months there. Um, mm. just, we would just get up, do some movement practice in the morning for a couple of hours, do some study because I still had a course to complete from back home or just spend some time mm-hmm. reading or whatever, um, mm-hmm. do some more training in the afternoon and then grab dinner with friends or hang out. And I was like, this is pretty awesome. Let me figure out, <laughs> you know, like it's a pretty, it was, a, I was enjoying it, right? I was, I felt engaged yep. mm-hmm. in both the physical practices and in, the, and in my studies. And mm-hmm. I wanted to figure out a way to keep that going <laughs> to mm. maintain that that day because it's it felt like um a fantasy at the time uh like mm. this was a separate trip where it was where it worked um but then in my honors year i kind of made it work i kept training i was doing the online coaching with ido um and his team and and i was doing studying philosophy you know four hours a day um training for six got up to eight hours a day at one point like i was really hooking into the practice mm-hmm. um, and that became really really formative for me and, 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 you know, it was the, it was not all about getting out of pain because you don't need to train that often, like for that, mm. <laughs> that amount of time <laughs> to get out of pain. Like at some point it became an interest on its, on its own. And particularly when I got mm. to the end of my degree, like I said, philosophy is, you know, it's, it's a thinking, <laughs> it's the game of thinking. Um, mm. And I thought, well, what can I, I want to spend some time doing, like, let me, let me invest some time in mm. concrete, like action and I'd been exposed to movement practice and that was when I really hooked into it and uh, let's see what effect this has. Um, yeah. And at that time, did you sort of know where it was heading or did like, I guess what was going through your head, you know, when you finish university, I always find that a really interesting time because it brings up all these questions, right? It's like, what am I going to do for the rest of my life? Or, you know, I'm out of the protection of, um, I guess, formal education now i gotta start making decisions on my own um yeah maybe take us through a little bit about your thinking at at the time sure well actually i i tried to make i try always to make decisions and think about them in terms of their duration so that first lease that we signed for instance was two years that's a two-year long decision which is Mm -hmm. like a medium gravity decision you know it's not nothing it's Mm -hmm. not deciding what you're going to have for dinner but it's not deciding who you're going to spend the rest of your life with either. Right. Mm. Um, and so I felt I've always made decisions in that way since finishing my degree. And even when I was doing that last year of the degree, that was based on that. I want to spend this year studying so that I can keep training, um, Mm -hmm. and keep learning and reading and writing and 
uh, when I finished uni, I had spent some of that time in Sydney and I was um, doing some coaching out of a facility there just a couple of times a week. And that was pretty cool, but it was still fitting within their kind of paradigm. Mm-hmm. And then I decided I wanted to try to, uh, I moved back to Canberra and that I wanted to see if I could set up a, a facility of my own. Um, but we just started with classes in the park and in my backyard, I had a pretty good setup in the, in the garage there mm-hmm. with monkey bars, which are actually awesome and a little squat rack in this tiny space. Um, we started running classes there. And again, the whole time the, my intention was just to be able to maintain that lifestyle, like spend some time reading, spend mm-hmm. some time writing and spend some time training. And then it became spend time teaching, right? That was the new mm-hmm. kind of element. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then when I started looking into how much it costs to, to lease a space, it was less than I had thought. Um, and then so, so, so I took that like little leap. Um, it, it seemed like a relatively low risk um, mm. move. I mean, of course it feels risky because it could fail, but you know, there are also big risks to not doing anything, right? Yep, yep. Yeah, yeah I, I like how you've described that in terms of, kind of like designing your lifestyle right you're like oh, i really enjoy these activities these give me the growth that's where i want to invest in as well how can i how can i make this work i'm not sure if like yeah a, a lot of people sometimes think in that way of going like you know these core activities are something i really value and i'm gonna really fight for yeah and and, and partly it's a like it's a move of faith. You make the same move when you become friends with someone or you enter a relationship with someone, you're going like, I'm going to invest time in this and just trust that that'll lead to good things. And if you know exactly what it is that the good things will be, then that takes the fun out of it, right? Like the whole thing's planned out for you. Um, It's like a spoiler, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So I was working more from a place of intuition that if I, invested serious time into the practice that that would somehow bear fruit whether it was just for me or whether if it was for people outside aside from me um like growing out from from that center of the practice itself yeah did um was there a certain point in time when it get, became more than yourself like you had your personal practice you're getting into this thing um when did you start developing the view that you're going oh okay maybe i can actually teach this stuff i can share this stuff with others yeah, I think, um, I mean, I had always been sharing it, not in perhaps a formal a formal way, but mm. I've always been that way. Like I like to explain things. Um, <laughs> I like to explain things and that's what a teacher does. <laughs> but, um, you know, like even before when I had done other sorts of training, I, I was trying to share it with people who I thought might benefit from it. And the same thing happened mm. with movement practice. Like I would try to share different stretches with friends and different ideas with friends and um, they told their friends and then we just kind of like opened things up a little bit to see if there was interest. Um, Mm -hmm. And there seemed to be like, that's the way I think about it. I was investing a lot of time in my own practice. And then I started opening channels to invest time in other people's practice uh, practices Mm -hmm. and see if they would connect or not. Like my intuition was that I couldn't be the only person in Canberra who wanted to do this stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. And who wanted back to that conversation about environment who perhaps wanted to situate themselves in a different environment in a, in a different community and, and mm-hmm. think and talk about things in a different way. Um, and so it was just the logistical thing was figuring out, well, how do you reach those people and how do you make it easy for them to, to get in touch? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it turned out that I, that I was right, that I wasn't the only one. And, and people started kind of 
trickling in and they would, you know what it's like when you find a like-minded person, right? You like want them mm-hmm. to meet all the other people who are kind of like you, that you, oh, you've got to get along. Yeah. And so people start bringing their friends and um, mm-hmm. Amber's small enough that like you come to our facility and you'll probably see a friend of yours there, even if you didn't know they trained with us. Um, mm. That happens all the time. So, so yeah, it's like always been a tendency of mine or a desire of mine to teach in some way or to share the things that I'm learning. Um, mm. and it just became more concrete as, as the top thing. Once I graduated from uni, it was like, well, all that time I was spending writing and studying, I can spend on teaching instead and then spend on building a community and ultimately a facility. Yeah, I guess it's quite interesting, right? Because, you know, I don't know how many philosophy students would probably, you know, enter into doing a degree in philosophy and end up in a journey such as yourself, right? It seems almost a little bit at opposite ends of the spectrum. And maybe it's like teachers such as uh, Simon in Edo that have connected the dots between the two that have shown you a a path where you can incorporate both, right? Um, Where I remember when I was growing up, I always used to think about the physical and the intellectual realms as very, uh, as very separate, you know, sitting at opposite ends of the spectrum. But I think as I grow up and I get deeper into, into both of them, I can see how, you know, that was a real big misconception of mine, especially when I was younger. Yeah. Yeah. And that was the realization for me was you can have all the, all the ideas in the world, but if you're not enacting them, like if you're not making them real through action, then they're just, Mm. just ideas. Right. So even to talk to you now, I have to move my mouth. Like the sounds come through my body. Right. Mm. Um, And we've constructed this world, like the microphone and somehow we're connected and I have no idea how that works, Um, but it's it's all material. Like, but our Mm. culture has this idea that it's, Oh, it's in the cloud. (laughs) You know, it's Mm. just out there somehow. And that our brains are separate from our, you know, the mind is separate from the body, but, through if you're really paying attention in your physical practice and of course like a meditation practice you start to see that the relationship is perhaps the other way around like that the body experiences certain things and then that produces thoughts right like there are these feedback loops constantly operating between the body between the body and the mind and your environment which we've spoken about and their effect in your emotions you know these these things are all really uh they're all physical at the end of the day. Um, it's a difficult concept to, to articulate, but because we are just so abstract and, and I know that cause I, like, that's the kind of person I am as well, but you know, I'm inherently that kind of left brain, abstract thinking, mm. um, conceptual kind of person. But mm. you know, I was interested in when I was studying, how do you change your mind on things? Um, how do you change the way that you think? And it's not clear that that's possible without changing the way that you see things. Like, and that's the term we use, right? Like, oh, I, I didn't, I never looked at it that way. We always mm. use some sort of physical metaphor, like that's a sense yeah. of experience. Um, and when you start changing the way you think, like here's a simple example. If you think of people as opportunities, strangers as opportunities for positive interactions, mm. when you see one, you don't have to think this is a pos- possibility for a positive interaction your body just just experiences that like perhaps you smile and that just comes out of you when you walk past someone on the street uh your body's open to it and it's like oh maybe this will be and maybe it's not maybe it's just a, a nice smile and all of a sudden you do that to everyone in your neighborhood and you convince but after a while you become convinced that your neighborhood's a friendly neighborhood 
but maybe it's just that you're friendly. <laughs> mm. You know, like we experience the world through this lens of a body. And as, as we know, the medium always affects the message, right? So the idea that the tool you're using, and if that's the body, isn't going to have an effect on the outcome is just absurd. Um, so the, the, the things are so connected and harnessing those feedback loops and becoming aware of them was, is, was and is a really uh, valuable thing in my mind because your conscious thoughts are like maybe 5%, 1% of what, what you do. Like try this as a practice. Next time you get out of the shower, just notice how you dry yourself off because you've probably got a routine, but you probably never decided on the routine. Like you have a way to dry yourself off that's different from how I dry myself off. And just bring your awareness to it. And it's like, it becomes an object of attention. And then you might go, this is a really bad way to dry myself off. Like, <laughs> it's a good example because it happened to me. I was like, between my shoulders never gets dry. Um, <laughs> but I wasn't aware of it, right? But everything is yep. like that. Like maybe you have a way of interacting with strangers or with your family. Mm. It's, it's just automatic. Or you have a yep. way of holding yourself, which is like shoulders up, you know, hips, hip flexors are contracted, ab abdomens contracted. We've got a rounded spine. And of course, we're practicing that all, all the time by sitting, right? That's the position it puts us in. And that has an effect. Like that turns me into this tense, afraid, timid, tense, you know, protective. We all know what that posture means. Mm. Um, but we, we pretend that spending eight hours a day in that posture is not going to have an effect on our lives, you know? Mm. But then you start becoming nihilistic and, and afraid of the world and, <laughs> these things just feed back and forth in ways that we're not aware of, but we can become aware of and that we can take control of. Um, mm. And for me, that's what the movement practice is actually about. Ultimately it's about bringing awareness to those unconscious habits of, of, of movement, the, the emotional patterns, the thought patterns, bringing, shining the light of awareness onto those things and perhaps changing them for the better and seeing what it's a self practice, right? It's a, it's about transforming the self through, a physical practice. Yep. Yeah. I think you touched on like, yeah, a lot of, a lot of points, which I resonate with um, quite strongly as well. And it brings me back to a favorite saying of mine as well, which is like your focus dictates your reality. And I really think like you mentioned it, how it's like you can transform your world by kind of exuding your own happiness out into your environment. And that lens then can transform everything like we've all been there when you're kind of in a bad mood and everything just seems really shitty as well. And it's kind of like these feedback loops, right? Um, but you also have the power to kind of enact your own feedback loop from within yourself. Um, I, I do believe that. Uh, and yeah, I have experienced that as well. Yeah. It's uh, my, one of my favorite um, sayings is we don't see the world as it is. We see it as we are. This is mm. Anais Nin. I'm not sure if I'm saying it right because I've only read her name, but um, it's so, it's so true. And we know that, right? Like if you, let's say you're looking for a place to rent a house to rent, you just start seeing all of the Felice signs, all of them, you know, but then when you rent it, mm -hmm. you, they disappear. It's not that you mm -hmm. see them and that you ignore them. You just don't see them. Or like you're looking mm -hmm. to buy a car and you see that car everywhere, right? You notice your car everywhere, but you don't notice any of the other cars. Um, so, you know, that we know that our perceptual systems actually respond to our goals to our objectives which means how we're seeing the world changes and it's not just woo woo like oh placebo just change your you know the secret kind of stuff because based on how you see the world you're going to engage with it differently too mm. maybe if you're that friendly guy in the neighborhood and then 
everyone else becomes a bit more friendly uh, because of that, a bit friendlier because of your friendliness, you end up living actually in a friendly neighborhood after five years, mm-hmm. <laughs> perhaps. Yeah. It's not just it's not just your fabrication, like you're completely deluded and you're just smiling at everyone and they're like, this guy's a psycho, um, which I'm hoping isn't happening in my, in my neighborhood. <laughs> maybe it is. Maybe we're not at that. You know, I need to invest some more time in the habits, but like, you know, the way that we see the world doesn't just, it, it makes the world not just in that perceptual sense, but also in that concrete sense, because you'll then act in the world differently and that transforms the world. Like we're unique in our ability to do that. I'm in a, I'm in a room here, you know, someone built this. Um, and the reason, and this is like, uh, you know, it's a bit abstract, esoteric perhaps, but we transform the world so that it is, it becomes like the negative image of our needs. So I need, mm-hmm. I have it. I lack protection from the elements, right? On my own. So I build clothes, like we construct mm-hmm. clothes and then we construct a room and a house and a roof, you know, all these sorts of things mm-hmm. to protect me from the elements. So in that sense, that constructed world is a negative image of the thing that I needed, the thing that I lack, right? It fulfills mm-hmm. that need. And in the same way you have a need for transport. So if perhaps you buy a car, but in a different culture or a different environment, that need gets fulfilled in a different way, right? Like maybe the city is built for walking. So you end up on foot or maybe it's built for cyclists. So you end up buying a, buying a bike instead and you cycle everywhere. Mm -hmm. And the point I'm making is that depending on your felt needs, depending on our felt needs, not just as individuals, but as, as a society, the world, we change the world, we transform the world and then mm-hmm. it transforms us back, right? So the children mm-hmm. get born and then they become conditioned to, to feel the same needs, not because of some conspiracy of the system. It's just that that's the environment they're, they're born into. So the negative images like feed back and forth again. Um, and I think that's a really powerful thing to become aware of in ourselves and to mm-hmm. start again, bringing attention to and, and, and building new habits perhaps. Um, because I, I like to talk about a simple example of a unhealthy craving, right? Like maybe you eat more pastries than you should. And every time you walk past the pastry shop, you get that smell and you don't think that's a nice smell. I might get a pastry. Your body just goes, let's get a pastry. You know, when you just start walking toward the pastry, the pastry store, <laughs> you know, um, and then you create a story afterwards. Mm. It's not that the story, the story justifies the action which happened in the body. Mm. Just like yeah. if I touch a hot fry pan, I don't go, that's a hot fry pan. I better remove my finger. My body just goes, Whoa, hot fry pan. It just does the hot fry pan action, you know, and then I can reflect and look at it. Oh, that was a hot fry pan. And, um, Again, it's this, this, this is what I realized with all the, all the philosophers. They're just thinking all the time, but so much, so often the thinking is just a justification for the emotions mm-hmm. that were felt and for the yeah. actions that already were taken and they happen in the body. So if mm-hmm. you want to make a transformation, if you want to make a change, it's got to start here. And again, people who are talking about we need to change the system, you only start talking about that once you've changed yourself, right? Because mm-hmm. if we just change the system and we're all the same, then we'll just tear the new system down and build back up what we already had because we're used to it, mm. right? Again, we just <laughs> externalize the needs that we're feeling um, and the habits that we're feeling. And one way to think of it is no one ever decided to build a bad habit, right? But they somehow get built nonetheless. Mm-hmm. So if you're not deciding, then someone else is deciding for you 
or perhaps a blind force is deciding for you, which is why advertising is such a such an important thing to become aware of. Like what mm. what sort of messages are you exposing yourself to? Because they're changing you, even if you don't realize it. You're practicing something all the time. Mm -hmm. We're constantly yeah. practicing. We're constantly building habits. The body is amazing at, at doing this. It just and not just human bodies, right? Like all bodies, they have this ability to adapt to the environment, build new habits, and just kind of automatically operate in that way. But it's definitely possible, and we all know that, to build habits that aren't serving us and to build ways of move to, to develop patterns of movement that aren't serving us that lead to pain, mm. that lead to discomfort mm. in the body. And if you're in pain, then you interact differently with the people around you and with the world, and, and your thoughts change as well, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, when you mentioned about how with the stories that we tell ourselves as well, how this is really malleable, you know, depending on, depending on how we're feeling our emotions, like the our perceptions in time and how they can change completely. Like you can reflect back on a past experience with, you know, really rosy lights, but then maybe if you're in a bad mood as well, you can, that perception of that story of that, of that memory can be completely different. Um, it reminds me of a book that, I read, I think it's called the courage to be disliked. They, they talk about that a lot about, I can't remember the term, but it's about, yeah, about how when you reflect the, the stories that you tell, it just completely within your mind. So that can change dependent on your current goal of what you, how you want to actually view that event. Um, right. And so, yeah, it's, it's kind of like a, a mistruth that you can tell yourself. Yeah. But then it has a real effect. That's what's amazing. Mm. That's what's crazy yeah. is that the story you tell about, and this is why we have to be careful about how we approach history, right? Like when someone's rewriting history, mm -hmm. it's for a reason. It's to affect how you think now. And we are just our history. Like to use the body as an example, your body is just a stored history of what's happened to you, right? And it's the stored history of your practices, conscious or otherwise. Um, mm -hmm. It's got the injuries of your past. You know, they're still there. You can still feel them. The pain signal is still sent when you when you're a bit too careless with those old injuries. Like, hey, be careful. Remember what happened last time, right? Um, your history is stored in you, and so are your memories. Like, if you smell a dish your mother used to cook when you were a child, you you just react. Like, you just start getting, you just start experiencing those memories of childhood. They just emerge on their own. Um, the memories are stored in the body, right? And and trauma is stored in the body. And of course, like this is a for some it's a new concept in the mainstream, but where else would these things be stored? <laughs> like, okay, maybe they're stored in the brain, but the, the brain is stored in the body. So, you know, the, the loops are there, the connections are there. Um, and so it's an important thing to, to become aware of the story you're telling yourself, like to use a chronic pain example, if you're in pain, that's a threat. That's a signal of threat, right? Mm -hmm. So even if you have a headache, maybe you have a headache, then, you'll interpret the world differently and you'll interpret other people's actions differently, which is why you get in arguments when you've had a bad day, right? You're anxious, the belly's tight, the shoulders, it's, the, the scaps are elevated. You've got this upper tension and you just feel terrible. And then your partner says something which was supposed to be kind. Um, they, because they're experiencing the world through their lens. And then you get in a fight because you interpret it as an attack, right? Um, but you're just both seeing the argument through your, you've got your like two lenses here and the arguments in the middle and it's just being interpreted, um, back and forth. So 
yeah, we can, we can really change ultimately everything, but it's not, you know, it's not as simple as that. And just changing in the mind, like, oh, I'll make this decision um, to be different. That doesn't work. You have to work mm -hmm. at it. That's why, that's, that's why the term practice has become popular, right? We're, everyone's talking about a movement practice. It's not just training. Mm -hmm. um, and your practices, whether they're movement practices or otherwise, they're what make you what you are, right? Every time mm -hmm. you decide, I'm going to do this practice, you're like putting a little token in the box of this person, right? I'm going to do a strength session. I'm putting a little token in the box of Tom is a strong person. I'm going to do uh, some breath work. I'm putting a token in the box of I'm someone who's aware of my breath. Um, mm -hmm. You're like voting for the person that you're going to become. I think that's a James Clear quote. He wrote this book, Atomic Habits, which is great if mm. you've had it, habit development. I highly recommend that book. Um, every action you take is a vote for the person you want to become. It's something like that. And it's just true. And the sad thing is that that's happening no matter what, whether you're deciding to take those actions or they're just being taken, you know? Well, that's, it's, it sounds like, yeah, you've spent a lot of time thinking about, about this stuff in a very deep way. Um, you know, Probably I think too much. people, Probably too much. <laughs> <laughs> I know um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it really is. And I guess, um, you know, is this something that really developed alongside your movement practice or you see as, as one and the same as when you started engaging with this, or this is coming more from the way you naturally think and, uh, your philosophy pr practice. I, yeah, before the movement practice, I had a much more intellectual, I had much more faith in the mind as operating separately mm. <laughs> and not being in, infected with these other influences. Um, so I suppose a much more in the West today, a much more kind of conventional conception of mind and body. Yep. Um, but mm. you know, what my teachers were saying is just do, just do the reps, you know, just do the practice and pay attention while you're doing it. And this is like a little triad we have on our wall at the studio. Trust the process, pay attention, do the work. And the key is paying attention. You just do the repetitions, you do the repetitions, you do the repetitions, and you pay attention to yourself while you're doing it and to the changes that are happening. And you realize after time, 12 months of daily spinal waves makes you a different person, right? Like it gives you a different spine. and that gives you a different conception of what it is to be embodied, what it is to have a spine. You start viewing yourself as, and this is something my teacher Simon Tuckwell talks about all the time is the more I practice the spinal wave, the more I start not just feeling that I'm this wavy creature, like I'm like a fish, you know, mm. or I'm like all the other, um, all the other animals that have that central axis as the organizing principle of their body, all those creatures, which is like almost all of the creatures you start feeling that you're more like them and that changes your, con your conception of what it is to be a human, that it's mm. no longer like, oh, I'm this mind. And if only I could uh, upload my consciousness to the cloud, I wouldn't have to worry about, you know, all the problems that come with being in a body, including death, right? And, and pain and suffering and everything. You know, all our limitations are, you know, they stem from the fact that we're embodied. But you start experiencing, no, I'm actually an animal that's, that's like awoken in the middle of this, just woke up in the middle of this evolutionary tale and started asking like, Oh, what's been odds? I think it's evolution. Like came up with theories and, um, 
started paying attention and, and, and telling these stories and so on. Um, and so you can see when you tell someone, uh, this spinal wave is really going to change how you feel about your body. If they're an intellectual type, they'll just say, okay, and they won't do the practice and they'll just assume that the transformation already happened because they received mm. a new idea. Yep. But the transformation happens with the practice, not with the idea. The idea is just there to explain the practice or to provide an entry point to the practice. Mm. Um, and that's, that just took practice. That just took time to, to realize, mm -hmm. you know, that the chronic pain was like something I was practicing in a way. Um, mm -hmm. Every time I would feel those parts of my body that were in pain, I would be sending the story of that part's in pain, that part's in pain. And yeah, there were mm -hmm. tissue, there's tissue issues, like structural issues, but most of it was coming from that story that was being told to the body you're in pain yeah and so many many chronic pain issues can be resolved by telling you stories right you go into a practice and you go actually and it sounds so woo woo there's a kind of like hard to talk about because you're yeah. you know people will hear it and just go like oh come on man this is you know you've got the like the long hair you're just lacking the robes you know um, <laughs> And it gets dismissed and because practice is hard, like, and we have so much access to information mm. that you can just look it up, just look up the thing, you get the idea and then you go, that's my hit. Like I let get my little dopamine hit cause I learned something new. Um, mm. but actually no change happened. Nothing happened. Mm. Um, there's just the seed. I'm, I don't want to dismiss thinking cause it's like everything that we've got came from it. <laughs> you know, everything that we've got that we call human came from thoughts. Um, but it wasn't just thoughts. It was something that, that, that people did with their bodies. Yeah. There's this directness of taking action, right. And then learning through your direct experience, which then gives you this understanding of trans that, that can lead into this transformation that you're talking about. Right. Like, uh, I love what you said there, which is like, yeah, just, just do the work and pay attention. And that's in direct contrast to, yeah, just reading something in a book and then feeling like, oh yeah, like I, I get that. But do you, do you actually, do you, do you really, you know, that's actually someone just telling you about something and you've kind of accepted it, but you, unless you do it and experiment with it, you don't actually know. Yeah. And I mean, the things that we care most about are all subjective. Like they're all things that you don't just learn by hearing about them. Right? Like the experience of feeling love for someone that you care about. I can explain what that feels like as best. I can't explain what that feels like, but I can try, you know, and then you <laughs> go, yeah, I think I understand. I think I understand what love is. <laughs> but, then, but then, you know, you hear this from, I've, ne I've not had children, but from people who do, they say, oh, you don't mm. understand. It's different. Mm. Um, you need to have that experience. Uh, there's this thought, there's this thought experiment in philosophy. I think it's called Mary's room. So you imagine uh, a girl trapped in a room from birth and there's no color in the room. It's a black and white room, but she's an expert on exactly how color operates. And I'm not an expert on how color operates. So I can't explain the rest of the thought experiment very well, but she knows, okay, it comes, it hits the optic nerve and then the brain processes it and different wavelengths produce different experiences. So she's an expert, but she's never seen red. You still, we, we know that she learns something completely new and perhaps the fundamental thing about what red is the first time she sees it, right? She has that experience of seeing red and that's something new. Um, that's red, that's redness. And, 
And so we've kind of got this idea, we've subscribed to this idea that if you understand something intellectually, then you understand it. Um, but actually, if we really reflect and pay attention to what our experiences are like, it's not until you have an experience of the thing, a direct experience of the thing, that you have any sort of understanding of it. Um, mm -hmm. That subjective element, which we stripped away to do science, right? Like science is objective. That's what we're looking for, the objective truth. But all the things we care about are subjective. All the things we care about are experienced here, you know? So that perspective that says, I want to look, see what a fist looks like, but I don't want to have a perspective on it. Like that doesn't actually exist for us. I can look at it from here. I can look at it from here and here and here, and I can develop a more holistic understanding of that, of that object, but only through many, many subjectivities, mm -hmm. right? like many, many perspectives, which is why it's useful to talk with someone you disagree with. Mm -hmm. um, they'll give you a new perspective on the thing, which gets you closer to the truth. But there's no just like objective truth that you can, that you can just get to without, without that. Um, so I, I'm pretty sure I've not answered or responded to what you said um, at all. <laughs> <laughs> but I've said some things. What was, what was your comment? I don't even know if you asked me a question. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I forget it as well, but I think um, what what you were saying, you know, was <laughs> was was all part of um, things that as well, like make make sense to me as well. And then like this this um, it kind of seems like this absurdity for this search for scientific or objective truth, right? It's like at some level as well that truth is just a consensus of su subjective truths you know yes. en masse we've, we've all just agreed that guy and like yeah that's correct but also we all know that like science changes all the time so like it means that it's not correct it was correct only at some certain point because we all agreed on it yeah, um, and i think scientists are actually appropriately humble like a yeah. scientist will tell you that's how it works but mm. the common conception of science is that it's absolute Mm. You know, like even the theory of evolution is called the theory of evolution. Mm. It's not called yeah. the fact of evolution. Um, now I believe it's true, but it could be false. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like imagine how much our perspective of the world would change if, if we turned yeah. out some really compelling evidence proved that that was just an incorrect theory. And that's happened many times before. Mm. Uh, bringing this back to like, I guess, the work that you do at, at Praxis, like, um, yeah, I mean, how do you how do you describe it? I mean, you've you, you say that like okay, you use this movement practice and it's a medium for discovering the self. Um, I guess, yeah, when people come to praxis or hear about praxis, what what do you say about what what you what you do at praxis? What do you learn at praxis? Yeah, the the simple message is that it's about improving our experience of being in a body and perhaps enhancing mm -hmm. that experience mm -hmm. and just bringing attention to it and setting that intention for yourself is often a completely transformative step to take that people haven't taken, but most people have taken some sort of step in that direction. Like they've done some sort of training. So we all acknowledge mm -hmm. that the things that we do have an effect mm -hmm. on, on the people that we become. Right. And we know that through whatever training I want to get fitter. Okay. Just go start running. And then I get better at running. Like we all know that practice works. So the training works. Uh, and the way I think about it with what, what we're doing at Praxis is we have a set of classes which are about increasing your potential. So a strength class, a mobility class, um, those, two, those two in particular really. 
they're about addressing deficits, like maybe the lack of strength in your upper body is preventing you from doing the things that you'd like to do. And maybe a lack of mobility is having the same effect on your, on your experience of embodiment. So we try to increase the ceiling, right? Increase your physical potential. This is general physical preparedness, which almost everyone is Mm -hmm. doing. That's what people think of as training, right? Mm -hmm. But then you also have to have this other component, which is the movement practice itself. We can't just prepare Mm -hmm. for movement and never do the, Mm -hmm. never do the thing. Um, and so we have, a, we have classes that are just called movement practice where if someone goes to a dance class or someone goes to a martial arts class or you go rock climbing, you're just doing that. Maybe you want to get fit. Maybe you want to get strong, but really you just want to dance or you want to climb or you want to fight or wrestle or strike, you know, you want to do the actual practice. And that's what the movement practice classes are, are, are about for us. It's doing the real thing and seeing what effect doing the movements, learning new ways of moving and seeing what effect that enhanced experience of your body has. And and maybe you can move from the kind of person I was where I was constantly afraid of dislocating my shoulder and constantly in pain to someone who feels some more freedom in their body, Mm. um, which is, it's such an underrated, it's such an underrated element of our experience. You know, it's what we love Mm. about children. They're just like, fully in, in their bodies, you know, and before they learn to speak, they're like, everything in them is mad when they're mad and everything is happy. Like they're fully expressive, you know? Mm-hmm. And we just love that. Like you sit, people look at children you can be, you might be the most evil person in the world, but you'll probably still smile when you see a child smiling, mm-hmm. you know, we just have that like, wow, oh, that's the best. Um, and you th- I was talking about this in class the other day with the same thing with animals, with pets, right? There's a neighbor, mm-hmm. there's a park across from the studio and people take their dogs there and they just throw, you know, they watch the dogs play and they're just mm-hmm. standing there watching the dogs play, you know? And it's like, this is <laughs> like, I'm not criticizing it. It's amazing, but it's the same thing. The dog just has a fully embodied experience. And so mm-hmm. that's such a joy to watch. Um, mm-hmm. but people lose sight of the fact that you can have that yourself and you can be a playful person, um, by, trying to become that, trying to reignite that ability to kind of express through the body. And again, we are expressing through our body. If I sit here and I'm kind of like, looks like I'm not enjoying the conversation, then Mm -hmm. that has an effect. You know, I'm expressing something through my body and we default Mm -hmm. to to that type type of communication when we, when we need to, that's our default. Like you're going to cross the road, right? And the person you're with steps out, they don't see a car, the car that's coming. You don't say, hey, watch out for the car. You just grab them, right? Like mm-hmm. that's the default. That's the default mode, tactile communication, you know, mm-hmm. body language, right? It's like most of language is body language. Most of our communication happens through the body um, and some through the words. I've gone on a tangent again. Um, but <laughs> what I would say to someone who is new, and this is something that actually I think you mentioned it when we spoke before over, uh, over text is it's something that the movement community has struggled to do is convey what it's doing like to explain yeah. itself and again it comes it ties into that like there's a intellectual understanding of something and then there's the experiential understanding of something and we've seen not to have done the best job of like connecting those two things mm-hmm. but i think part of that is because people come to it with their own conceptions which have been formed by what they've already been told so maybe a maybe a 15 year old kid goes into a gym because he's interested in developing his physical potential. He might not tell you that and he might not be able to articulate that, but that's the Mm. impulse, right? That's the impulse. It's like, I just want to see what I can do. And then the message in the gym is, well, we're here to build muscle mass and lose fat. 
And then he's like, I guess that's what I'm here for. And that becomes the story, you know? And so Mm. then he comes to us 10 years later, having been told for 10 years that what he cares about is building muscle mass and losing fat and looking a particular way. And we go like, Hey, would you like to improve your experience of being in a body? And that message just seems absurd. You know, it's like, no, what do you mean? Why would I, I just care about how I look like, what do the pictures look like? Mm. You know, but if you didn't have all that messaging before and all that conditioning, then Mm. the answer is yes. (laughs) Do you want to have a better experience of being in a body? The answer is yes. Right. So how do you communicate with a kid like that or are people sort of still expressing that, uh, that level of language when they come into your space and they're just like, you're like, Oh, what are you here for? And they're like, I want to get stronger. Or I want to build muscle mass. Um, yeah, I guess you can't t- talk sometimes in those terms. Like, you know, we're going to get you embodied because it's going to be like, what? Like right. that means nothing to me. If someone hasn't come before, I just tell them to come to class. I just want them to come to class and we can have a conversation before it. But as long as they do the class, they're going to go away with some sort of understanding. Mm-hmm. And again, the understanding will be at, excuse me, at different levels, right? Based on their experience. Mm-hmm. So they might just come in and go, the people here seem to be there. What their story that they're telling themselves when they drive home or walk home or whatever might just be, those people seem interesting. I think I want to go back or like, I had fun. I think I'm going to go back. I don't actually, in the beginning, I wanted people to understand like my perspective and it's like a intellectual arrogance, actually. Like, again, you're prioritizing the, the intellectual understanding of the practice when you go, I've got to convince this person that movement practice is going to transform their, transform them, you know, change their lives. And I've got to give them the movement perspective, but actually you've just got to do the practice with them and get them to come back. And if they have, a little bit of a spark, like, oh, these people can move in ways I'd like to move. That's enough for them to come back. And so I used to be dismissive about like, hey, I want to lose weight or I want to get strong or like when those terms were used that are so common in the fitness world that I didn't want to be hearing, I used to be dismissive. But actually they're a bridge like that you can, you can extend the hand and say, yeah, okay, we, what we do is going to get you incredibly strong if you stick with it. Just do strength classes for the next month. You know, if that's their interest, we get it all the time with handstands. I want to learn how to do a handstand. Mm. And you just, I just say, okay, great. Let's just do, can you do three handstand classes a week? No, okay. Can you do two? Yes. Let's, let's do these two handstand classes a week. They mm. come for a month and then they go, oh, I realize I can't, I'm not strong enough or I'm not mobile enough to do the handstand the way I want to. And then maybe they do mm. some of those classes and then they see on oh, the movement practice classes, you guys are throwing yourself around on your hands all the time. You're mm. inverting all the time. I, maybe I want to use the handstand a little bit. And then they start coming to a movement practice class. Um, mm. But I'm not prescriptive about it. I want to do it based on what they come to asking for. And again, if you think about the handstand as an example, why on earth would you want to learn how to do a handstand? Why would you want to learn that? There's no clear, you know, but people want, yeah. like that's that most popular class. Everyone wants to learn to do a handstand. And I mm. think the reason is it's something that you clearly can't do by chance. And it's impressive. They want to impress mm. their friends. <laughs> but when everyone on Instagram can do a handstand, it's not as impressive anymore. <laughs> and actually, yeah. I think it's, again, that impulse that's there in the 15-year-old who steps into the gym for the first time mm. that says, I want to learn to do something I can't do. I want to mm. learn something new. I want to develop a phys- physical skill. And that's the reason I love the handstand, actually, is not mm. because of... It's just because it's a, it's, it's a skill that you can't learn by chance. You have to go through a process and you have to trust the process. 
and you have to follow the steps and everything comes together and culminates in this very simple, like kind of beautiful movement. And it opens mm -hmm. more doors, of course, to, to different forms of physical expression. But I just want to give people the experience of positive change in whatever direction that that's going to, that's going to take. Mm. Of course, you have to delimit, you have to, uh, you have to put limits around what you'll, what you'll provide. Like fat mm -hmm. loss is not something if someone comes in for fat loss, you know, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll be honest and say, that's not something we're focusing on. It might happen. Mm -hmm. It might happen if you love the practice. And actually I think normally people who are overweight just haven't found something that they like doing something physical mm -hmm. that they like doing. But, um, if you just go with the customers always right, then you, mm. your center, your values don't exist, right? They're just shifting in the direction of whoever comes in every time. And then you've built for yourself a facility, people with, you know, people you don't want to be around perhaps, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like that's where it's important to be like, no, these are the values. This is what we do here to some degree. But I do think in move in the movement culture, it's gone to, it's gone to the extremes where it's like an elitist, you know, well, if you just want to get mm -hmm. flexible, we don't do that. We do mobility. It's like, dude, <laughs> you know, do you want to help people or is it about you and your, and your, mm. um, you know, your image? That's, that's the question we have to ask ourselves all the time. And I don't know either. Like you gotta, if you're going to be skeptical about things, you gotta be skeptical about yourself as well. Right. Yeah. I think, yeah, that's, um, a really interesting thing about the boundaries, right? Cause boundaries can create trust because people know where you stand on one side of the fence or the other side of the fence. And then also you can start cultivating that like, like tribesmanship with, with people that, align with your values as well but then also if you step too far over into one corner you start going into almost like lone wolf territory as well right it's just like my circle is so small uh, and it's only these people or even myself um, and then it becomes yeah just less about this interdependence and spreading it to other people and rather just this uh, almost self-centeredness which I guess is in opposition to what I'm hearing that you're trying to share here with a, a praxis, right? It, it really is there for the benefit of the community. That's, that's what I hope, you know, again, I'm <laughs> about myself, but that's what I believe. That's what I hope. And I, and that process is one of separating your values from your personality, right? Because mm. your values would be expressed in your personality in some, to some degree. But for instance, I'm someone who orients less toward fun. Like the, the, the practice that I'm doing when we're in a class, we're like focusing on what's happening and we're doing the work and perhaps we're not, you know, we're not laughing we're not joking around. We're like taking it seriously. Um, but that's just part of, that's just part of my personality. Like someone else who's more extroverted and more bubbly and wants to chit chat and like mm -hmm. engage in the, in the material in that way can also benefit from the material. Mm -hmm. But if I go with, no, this is my, this is the way we do it. Cause this is the way I do it. Then, if I'm purporting to want to help people now, I'm not helping some people because they're not similar enough to me. Like how ridiculous is that? You know? And that's why we have other teachers, which is amazing. We have two other fantastic teachers at Praxis. One is called Tom, Tom Langley. And which was, you know, it's a running joke that we have two Toms and no one ever knows. We actually have many Toms <laughs> at the facility. Like we have like six Toms and they're there all the time, which is weird. Um, <laughs> and we've just had Soishi, uh, Soishi move 
recently to Canberra to teach for us as well. And they have different personalities. Like Tom knows much more about what's going on in people's lives outside of the practice. And that's the conversation that they're having after class. Whereas for me, it's the conversation about the practice, you know, and then Soishi will, will often orient more towards joyful practices. Like let's enjoy being in a body. And of course I do that as well, but there's a, a set of values that are at the center of that, that unite the three of us that we're all that we share and that we're operating from. Um, mm-hmm. without confining the group to the idiosyncrasies of our specific personalities, you know, to the, to the extent that's possible. Mm. And I think it's really lovely that you have like these other characters that present different sides as well to that is again of benefit. Like if I was to rock, rock up and then maybe take one of your classes, but then also as someone else's like Soichi's, then I know that that's going to be different and also beneficial um, for, for myself. Um, with Yeah. The ego, the ego uh, wants everyone to like it. <laughs> you know, the ego in me wants everyone to like my classes. Mm, um, mm. But what if, if sometimes someone will come and maybe the way that they want to engage with the material is actually something I don't want in my classes. Uh, and they'd be better suited to someone else's class. So I should take that personally. It's just like a filter. If you be yourself, this happens, right? Like if you just yep. try to figure out what your life can be that way, then people will come into your life and leave or stay based on whether or not they should. Right? Mm-hmm. But if you try to pander to every person and you're not, there's no core to you, then, mm. then you don't even know and they don't know. And then you're all, you know, bullshitting each other all the time. And it's mm. just a mess. <laughs> Anyway, I interrupted you. I interrupted you. Sorry. With um your your classes, so you mentioned like you've got like strength, mobility, and movement practices. Is maybe like the the, the three concepts that you that that you teach, um, or the three different types of classes that one can take there. Um, and people, class as well. Uh, so and p- people will probably be familiar with you know a strength or a mobility or or handstand class. How would you describe like? what's the content that you cover in a movement class? Good question. Good question. The answer is come to class and try. <laughs> and try. <laughs> it, it, cha- it changes. It changes with the seasons. It changes based on the teacher's interests as well. So the teachers, mm-hmm. um, different teachers will teach those classes differently. We don't have a prescriptive, um, what would you say, pedagogy in terms of the movement practice classes. Mm-hmm. But we might go into a, quality that we want to work on for a period. So for instance, in, our, in my movement practice classes right now, we're spending a lot of time trying to develop elasticity in the body, uh, exploring mm-hmm. the, the capacity for every part of the body to have this elastic quality to it, right? Like a rubber band that can stretch and release. Um, and again, we see that in, in children and in the other animals that they have this like springy nature to them, to them, to their bodies. Um, so that's something that we've been, we've been working on and we'll go through and we're using lots of tools that I learned again from, um, from Simon, my teacher, where we go through different parts of the body and try to develop elasticity in the arm. And then I want and then develop elasticity in the rib cage. Can you elastically stretch and release through the rib cage and generate? Cause elasticity is like a prerequisite for power, right? Mm-hmm. Elasticity is when you put more force through it, it becomes power. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the abdomen, can we, can we become elastic in the abdomen? And of course the pelvis, most of us are lacking elasticity in the hips, which is why so many people would end up with lower back injuries because the lower back's trying to do everything because the hips aren't doing anything. Um, mm. Elasticity in the knees and the ankles and the feet. And then we might combine that into some more whole body coordination 
uh, pattern that we're using to, to travel down the room where we're expressing that quality uh, of, of, of elasticity. Hmm. So that's an example. And then, you know, we might be trying to be graceful instead. Can we move with the minimum of effort and the minimum of muscular tension without letting the whole structure collapse? Uh, And some of the floor work can be, you know, moving around on the floor. Some of the rolling material can be a fantastic way to access that quality. Uh, Hmm. So that's the way I try to think about it is, we're developing different qualities in different parts of the body, whether it's the ability to relax, whether it's the ability to strengthen, this the ability to hold tension, right? To generate, mm. generate tension. Um, whether it's springiness in the body, whether it's sensitivity to touch, increasing the sensory maps of the body, mm. enhancing those maps. Of course, we can't do that now with the COVID restrictions, right? But actually the huge part of what we normally do is, mm. is building more sensitivity everywhere and being able to mm-hmm. feel every single part of the body to enhance that body map. Uh, maybe it's grappling. What's it feel like to, to push and pull and, and, and feel the force of another body on yours and resist mm-hmm. and communicate in that way? Because, of course, that's such a fundamental part of our history mm-hmm. that, you know, keep your hands and feet to yourself, that narrative loses sight of, right? And then we wonder why. Mm-hmm. Um, wonder why our children have problems with aggression, you know, because <laughs> they're not allowed to wrestle. Um, yeah, so... It's hard to explain without without doing a class with you. Hopefully, you can make it down sometime. <laughs> yeah, when, when when someone like comes to say one of the are these, do you do you explain about this sort of concept, or do you just sort of prescribe the work and get them to try and experience it, and then afterwards reflect on it? Like, yeah, how 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 is that? uh dynamic because i'm guessing like for most people you come in and then you're going we're going to work on elasticity you know you're going to get blank looks they're going to be like what the hell are you talking about like so how does that sort of learning process um the way you structure it how does that um how is that given to the student yeah it's it's we we do both so um it's very rarely prescribed normally we're practicing together the teacher's practicing too Mm -hmm. uh and I'm using the concepts, the verbal explanation to, as a bridge for them to have the feeling in their body that I'm having in my body when I'm feeling elastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can, we can, again, confuse ourselves and think that they're understanding the concept and then that, that's enough. But really, the concept is just a bridge. I'm just using language. So I'll explain, like try to, and imagery as well, like with elasticity, for, for example, some of the language is not that useful. It's like, actually, you're just trying to provide an image of a coil that you, that you coil up and then uncoil and, and, or you're pushing a ball underwater and that generates potential, right? And then the ball springs out of the water and that's that like elasticity. Or I'll use those images of, you know, how a child's bouncing around or a dog bounces around when you, you like kind of, hit it on the head and go, Hey, we're going to play. And the dog gets all springy and excited. You're like, try to feel that, try to feel more like a playful primate. Mm. Um, and we're, I'm just trying to create that connection. And, and, and sometimes the words will be useless, useless for people. Most of the time, they're not that much use. What they need is to see someone moving in the way that they're trying to move and to replicate it and try to mm. imitate it. Because we're actually really fantastic at that. Like it's mm. this amazing skill we have for imitation which again comes back to the role models thing. Like it matters who you're imitating. Mm. It matters who you're looking at and paying attention to because you're going to become that person to some degree. Um, and so I might be using all the words, but I'm actually very conscious of mentioning, hey, none of these words, maybe none of these words are landing with you. Just try to copy me or see someone else in the room who you're like, I think they're getting it. Try to copy them. 
try to feel what's happening in their body. Um, mm-hmm. And that's it. That's, that's the bridge that needs to be, that's the gap that needs to be bridged, which is difficult, right? Like for, for example, if you watch someone playing a sport that you've played, your experience of it's different, right? Like you feel it just like when someone's going under a bridge in their car and you see like, Oh shit, the, the truck's going to hit that bridge and you like mm. duck because you, mm. you know, you have that experience <laughs> in your own body or you see an injury and you see a gruesome injury and you kind of feel that pain, like because the neurons mm. in your brain uh, are firing that are firing in their brain when they do it because you've got some mm. reference point. But when you mm. see someone just doing something that's absolutely outside the realm of your experience, it's just a spectacle. You just see an amazing dance performance and perhaps you've never done any of those movements. And it's like seeing, it's like hearing a foreign language, right? Mm. You've got no reference point. So you just go like, uh, okay, that was pretty cool, but I have no idea what's going on. Uh, but then you, then you start getting that connection when you learn a couple of words in that foreign language. Mm. I'm sure that happened with you in Japan. Like you start picking up, Oh, Oh, they said that. Oh, that's, you start getting yeah. mm. some connection points. And then after a while you're able to communicate. Mm. Um, so it's sometimes it's just a matter of trying to embrace that kind of technology that we have for learning the imitative technology. Mm-hmm. Just try to do it. Just try mm-hmm. to do it. Watch me feel yourself. Watch me feel your own body awareness on me, awareness on yourself, awareness, awareness on someone else in the group. And we start doing it all together um, mm-hmm. and start trying to get the feeling, the feeling for what that quality feels like. And then you have a little like a uh, thread that you can pull on and, and explore further to develop that quality in your own way. And what do you think is um, maybe the extra layer that you try to provide versus like if someone was to just enter into a dance class or something, or, you know, like even in the strength training sort of realm, like, as you mentioned, like anyone can go to a gym as well, or even like a, a good group fitness strength class, right. And learn powerlifting or something like that. Um, but I'm guessing like you're trying to, to impart another additional layer on, on top of that, which makes it different, right? What I'm hoping more than anything is that people will start to form those connections with how the practice is affecting the rest of their life. So mm-hmm. it's not necessarily that if you come to one of our lower body strength classes, you're going to get stronger than someone who goes to a powerlifting class. Like maybe that person will end up with stronger legs, but we'll have this sort of conversation perhaps so that you can feel what and start noticing because this is all the teacher can really do is like point you in a direction, right? Okay. Notice this thing. That's what a good teacher does. They don't say notice the things I care about and really want you to notice. They notice what you need to notice that you're not right. Just like a good friend who's like, Mm -hmm. Hey dude, I don't know about starting a podcast. Like, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if this is a good idea. And then, but maybe another good friend, another good friend is like, actually, this is a really good idea. And have you thought about this person and this person? Mm. Anyway, so I'm trying to help people build that connection and not just pay attention within the class because most people come to us. We have some dedicated students who might do two classes, three classes in an evening um, or morning and evening classes. So they're spending multiple hours a day practicing, but they're Mm. also spending many more hours a day, not in the studio. And like I said before, during those hours, they're also practicing, whether consciously or not, um, mm. different ways of being, different ways of moving, different ways of thinking, different patterns of tension and so on. So that's the extra layer, I would say. Like, hey, try to observe how you becoming stronger in the upper body strength class. And this is the case particularly for women because they're not encouraged as much to build strength when they're younger. They start getting stronger and you see like, huh, this person is 
not just stronger within class. Like this is a stronger person. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And then for often for dudes, it's like you need to figure out how to release tension and let go. And sometimes not, Mm -hmm. not be that, that guy, you know, not be this guy. Like sometimes you need to be this guy. Um, and you see that, that, and of course, like I'm drawing general, I'm making generalizations, but that's what I really like to see when someone says, I realized through learning new movements that I can learn anything new. I realized that yeah. I came and I couldn't do a handstand and it was like, I saw it and I was like, that's completely outside the realm of possibility. That's the spectacle. And then I learned mm. how to do it. And then, so that person maybe takes that perspective into the rest of their life. Mm. Yeah. This uh, concept of transferability, right? Um, I think that's, it's quite, it's quite difficult to do sometimes, you know, with, um, maybe, I mean, if we take fitness culture, um, as an, as an example as well, it's kind of being led, if you were to believe it with, um, with most sort of activities, it's like, oh, I just go for 30 minutes and I'm just going to like work out. And then after that, it's done. That's it. It was, but I had to do that. Right. And then outside of that, like, I don't think about that at all. That, that, that doesn't really inform any other part um, of, of my day, but I know that, that I should be doing that and that that's good. And so I'm just, I'm just going to do that. But apart from that, I set, I set no other sort of energy or train of thought towards that activity. Yeah. And it's a numbers game, right? Like you got 30 minutes in the day, you're doing that. And then 23 and a half hours where you're not paying attention to the body at all. Mm. You know, and maybe for that half hour, you're not paying attention to the body either. You're just, you know, your attention's on the TV screen and you're running on the treadmill mm-hmm. and you're still treating the body as an object, like just an object. And of course it is, mm-hmm. it can be an object of attention as well. Um, but the body's something you experience. So it's kind of, I feel like it's deserving of more than that, more than mm-hmm. like someone who's a really avid gardener treats gardening acts when they're gardening. It's different from, I'm not an avid gardener. But if the, if the lawn needs to be mowed, I'm probably also not even the one to mow it. But let's say I was going to mow it. <laughs> the care with which I mow it is not the same as someone who's like really engaging with that, with that activity. Mm. Um, I'm just doing it. I'm just getting it done. And like the fitness approach takes that same approach. It's like just go in, do this thing for your body so that it becomes something that's often the narrative is maybe it's to become healthier, right? And maybe it's to increase your productivity at work, doing the things you actually care about, or maybe it's to, for it to look a certain way. And most commonly it's the last one, right? Like, but you're treating the body as something that can do something for you. It can either be attractive or not, right? And that, that, and you can be in pain or not, but you're not treating it as something that you're, you are like, you are your body, you're embodied. Um, And by dismissing that or overlooking it, you're causing a lot of problems for yourself without being aware of them. Uh, and that's, that's scary. And I think it's sad that we don't as a culture pay as much attention to that. We're paying, we're putting our attention elsewhere and um, you know, it's a scarce resource. That's why we say you pay attention at mm-hmm. pay with your attention. And if, if most of it's going onto what's happening on Instagram and the latest you know, I didn't really follow the news for many years until COVID. I had to start paying attention because it's affects mm. the facility and it didn't have a negative impact on me, <laughs> you know, uh, and actually starting to follow it really had a negative feel myself being more anxious and my breath shortening mm. and like, Oh my God, there's so many terrible things happening in the news. Um, which mm. makes you think it's just bad things happening in the world. But you know, which I think it's so important for us to cultivate attention and, and pay attention to what we're paying attention to. 
Um, mm -hmm. And that the 30 minutes a day or 30 minutes, three times a week of getting a pump on and getting a sweat on is just, it's the McDonald's of having a good meal, you know? Mm. Mm. So with um, your work that you're doing here, um, like maybe can you comment on, I guess, spreading this concept of, you know, providing embodiment and um, uh, widening perspective and spreading movement practice to a broader audience. What do you think is like some of the biggest challenges that face us in terms of like explaining that or getting other people involved into something that, you know, is inherently so valuable for, for us? I actually think one of the biggest hurdles, which is, in place for adults most most of us are afraid of learning new things because to learn a new thing means not being able to do it the first time you try it mm. right and, and and that's the story i get almost always when someone comes in for their first class they want to make sure that i know that they can't do the things in the class yet you know and they might even not <laughs> know what we're doing in the class so they'll grasp mm. the general concepts hey i'm not very fit i'm not very flexible i'm not very strong um I'm a complete beginner. Like they want to make sure that I'm not going to make them do something they can't and that they'll be embarrassed. We're so afraid of that um, social shaming that's associated with trying to do something and not being able to do it. Um, that's the biggest hurdle. And that's why people go to regular gyms and, you know, a gym where it's the whole business model is just, we have equipment and you kind of rent the equipment office for 10 bucks a week um, for access, access to the equipment office for 10 bucks a week. And people go in and they only do what they know they already know how to do. And they don't make eye contact because it's kind of like we're in a vulnerable space here, right? Working on the body is body work is, is vulnerable. Cause again, the body's the site of all your vulnerabilities. Um, and that's why we have that. So many people have that recurring dream of that nightmare, right? Of like being naked in public, you're fully exposed. Your vulnerability is, is completely on show, right? Like all the clothes, not just literally, but, um, figuratively all the clothes are removed the truth is there and it's exposed and people are laughing. So it's not, it's not what, it's not what you were hoping they would think of you, you know? Um, and so I'm just trying to like reassure people when they come in and say, Hey, it's fine. It's fine. We're all here trying to do things we can't do yet. So no matter where you're at, we're all having that experience of being vulnerable, uh, and actually embracing the vulnerability. And when you can do that and everyone's like, they're supporting you saying, Hey, we all started where you started or some other place. It doesn't even matter, but we all started not being able to do the things that we, that we can now. And we're all trying to do things that we can't yet do. And so we're all constantly having that experience of being embarrassed, but it's not embarrassment. It's like striving. Like embarrassment is just the flip side of trying to do something you can't do yet. Like trying to grow, trying to learn necessitates, you know, if someone's, if someone's trying to develop that elasticity and you can just see that they can't feel it yet and that you can see in their eyes that they're like, damn it, I can't feel this yet. That's a wonderful experience because now they know there's some part of them. There's some potential in that person that hasn't been expressed, hasn't been realized. And there's a room for exploration. There's room for growth. There's room for learning. And if you can just embrace that and harness that and direct it in, 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 if, if you can orient more towards let's realize your potential, let's find those areas and, and, and realize them and explore them and away from, I don't want to be embarrassed in front of a bunch of strangers. Then, then I think that's where the transformation can happen. Mm -hmm. I don't know that. Sorry, you go. 
I think um, that's maybe one um, great thing about the handstand, right? Because it presents itself as this fun, now, you know, social media heralded thing, which sort of gives this permission for someone to step into this space and go, oh, I'm going to learn the handstand um, and I'm going to fail at it. And maybe that's why it can be such a powerful transformative tool to switch from just uh, just training or, or, or however you want to term it to then going, okay, now I'm going to start really learning about things. I'm going to start committing to a practice of, of things. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's a really good point. And I think you're right. It's giving, it gives permission for adults to learn new things. Mm. Um, and so many of us have that, we don't feel that that's a possibility. And you even kind of alluded to it. Oh, you finish university and then decide what you're going to be for the rest of your life. Um, you know, and if you do make that decision and you're serious about it and everything's laid out like the, you know, like the spoiler, that spoiler idea again, then you start dying from that day, that day forward. Like that's, mm. that's the truth. Um, all the parts of you that could be, all the potential in you that could be realized is just kind of, you're putting your own limit on it. Right? So if we can give ourselves that permission as adults to try to learn new things and to not be able to do them the first time we try them, the options are just like absolutely endless. That's what's exciting about being being human is our nature isn't fixed, right? So I have a dog, her name's Billy. Everyone loves Billy. She's fantastic. She's the gym dog. She's always in there at the studio. <laughs> and she's like almost my reference point. She's my reference point for so many different things. Like when we're talking about engaging and really engaging in a practice, I reference her with the ball, like engaging. Oh, I want to chase the ball. She's so there. <laughs> and that we're trying to harness that too. But her nature's fixed to some degree. I can teach her to sit and cross at the roads and I can try to, I can try to cultivate her nature, right? Like I can try to condition her in certain ways that I think will be good. And if I wasn't paying attention, I might condition her in harmful ways, which is what people who mistreat animals are doing mm. and mistreat their children perhaps as well, right? Um, but we have this ability as humans to develop a second nature. And we use that term like it's nothing. Like, oh, it just became second nature. I learned to drive and now it's second nature. It's like, what do you mean you have a second nature? Like you can, you can completely, <laughs> you, know, you can just change your nature. Um, that's amazing to me. That's amazing. And so exciting mm. because it's like, there are a few things that I can't change about myself, but there are so many more that I could. Right. And that we can change about the world around us and change about our relationships. And again, change about the way we see things and the way we think about things and the way we experience things. So it's just like opening that door. You have that experience once, like maybe you learned an instrument and then you go, okay, I've learned an instrument. What else can I learn? Like it's just getting that experience once as an adult of, of doing something new um, that can really open doors and, and make, make life a bit more exciting. You know, we spoke a little bit about boundaries, but before um, when someone steps into, you know, your space, do you, do you go through like any rules or non-negotiables to, to your students with like, um, that that you express and just say hey like if you do that here that's not on here or you should be fo following um like a, a certain saying that that you've you've made into um like like something that you mentioned before about doing the work pay attention um i forgot the third one but do you do you have more more of that that you express to everybody that comes into practice um the third one was trust the process trust the process <laughs> 
do the work, pay attention, and they feed back mm -hmm. into each other. Um, I'm impressed that you remember two of them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, there's not. So, it's it's more expressed in how the teachers comport themselves. It's more expressed mm -hmm. in, in how we interact with the students. Um, we've done that, and we've been we've held ourselves to account, which means that we've cultivated a community of other people who are very similar in that regard. And when you step into a new community and you feel that you don't fit in because of certain things that you're doing, it's a terrible feeling, right? You either leave or you try to figure out how to fit in. And we're fortunate enough that we've attracted people who are the kinds of people that, you know, that I felt honored to have as friends and to know and to be able to teach and to be able to learn from. Um, so that that just kind of happens all on its own now. Like you, if you come in and you're going to ridicule people for not being able to do things they're trying to, then you're not going to fit in because <laughs> there'll be mm -hmm. 15 other people in class who aren't doing that and who don't laugh when you do it um, mm -hmm. and who are supporting each other. And you're going to feel like completely out of place and embarrassed. Mm -hmm. um, so you have two options. Like one example is sometimes people come in for their first class and they're, you know, and I get it. I'm not criticizing them. People are nervous about they want to present themselves in a certain way right so maybe they come in and they're wearing makeup and they're wearing a certain kind of attire that makes them look um more attractive right at least that's the idea i'm not a huge fan of makeup uh i mean using it <laughs> lots of it. um anyway they won't do that in their second class hmm. and i've seen that multiple times because they see oh everyone else here is just themselves they're just trying hmm. to present themselves and be real. And of course you, there's nothing wrong, wrong, wrong with wearing, wearing makeup, but it's hard when you're sweating, <laughs> you know, it's not, yeah. optimal. it's not the most functional decision for a, mm. um, for a physical practice, a physical class. So they'll make the change or they won't come back. And, um, I'm not too, I'm not too addicted to having new people stay that I, mm -hmm. that I'll encourage them to come back if they don't fit the vibe. Mm -hmm. So again, it's more about how we behave, how we comport ourselves, how we interact mm -hmm. with each other. And um, that environment's been created over the last mm -hmm. two and a half, three years, which is so fantastic because I just get to be myself and everyone else gets to be themselves. And it's like the space just completely allows for that, not just the physical mm -hmm. space, of course, the, um, the social mm -hmm. space too. Yeah, I think this is taking it back almost full circle to what we we're talk chatting about at the very start, right? About the role of environment, um, you know, not only the physical space, but the, the social environment, You like the culture. And I think if everyone is aligned, you know, and you have that same value set, then it just, you don't even have to explain it, right? Like someone can walk into the space and, and just get it. It's like, okay, these are like the, the set of behaviors, which, which, we should we should act act in this way in this space yeah and and people see in you if there's something in you as say the teacher or you being the group the community that's in there if there's something in that that, that person wants to have in their own lives and they want access mm. to they'll see it straight away and they'll start mm. going toward it you don't need to convince them it's the same that's why people i've got nothing against vegans and i was i was on a vegan diet for for several years but people hate that community because they're so aggressive about their beliefs, right? Mm. Like if you want to convince someone to become a vegan and they eat a steak with every meal, then trying to convince them to become a vegan is the worst way to go about it. Right. Mm. 
And it's the same thing with culture. Like, okay, here's what we do here. We leave the ego at the door and like, it's the ego that's telling you that, you know, it's the ego and me going, we've got no ego in here. It's like such an ego, <laughs> you know, it's such an ego full thing to say, to be, you know, it's like, it's like calling yourself humble, right? You can't, mm. you can't do it without contradicting yourself at the same time. Mm. Um, and so it's more about leading through doing that's the top, mm. that's the top value that I, that I really strive to, to adhere to. Mm. And our other teachers do as well. Mm. Um, I'm just mindful of, of the time of, yeah, really, really enjoyed this chat. Um, so <laughs> maybe like a, a, a final sort of, um, question here is, yeah, where, where do you see Praxis, uh, developing? Where do you want to take it? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I'll, <laughs> I was going to say, I'll try to keep it short, but that's not worked so far. So <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't make promises you can't keep, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, well, so far it's been focused on the physical, the physical stuff. And again, that's a easier access point. I think particularly in Australia, like I mentioned earlier, because people are so used to that concept that you should train, Mm -hmm. you should Mm -hmm. do some sort of physical practice activity, whatever you should be, um, engaging with that. And so that's been the access point, but there are many other layers, potential layers for transformation. So Tom, who I mentioned earlier, one of our other teachers, He'll be introducing in a nutritional coaching program shortly. And that's not about what you eat, but how you eat in the same way that mm-hmm. what we're doing in, in terms of movement practice is not so much about the what, but about the how and the why. And so it's mm-hmm. going to be coming from that same perspective, what he's sharing. Um, Soishi is doing more work with seniors. That's her passion, working with the elderly. Mm-hmm. And they're the people that need this perspective and need this material more than anyone else. Mm-hmm. And who we're getting at the least, um, but they see the benefits almost immediately because they get it. Like I want to improve my experience of being in a body when I'm, Mm. you know, 85 and in pain and not able to do any of the things I used to, used to be able to do. Mm. So that's Mm. an area that we're looking to um, pay more attention to. It's a group of people we want to spend more time with and that's happening, which is really fantastic. We've got longevity classes three times a week now, which are um, targeted towards seniors uh, and anyone who's who's interested in operating from that perspective, who's feeling the effects of aging, uh, and then talking more about these sorts of ideas is, is that's what I'd like to bring to the project. Um, finding a way to make that part of the curriculum. I'm not sure whether that's possible or what that would look like exactly. Um, it's there in the classes. These sorts of conversations are happening, um, but I'd like to make that something that that's that's more there. So the whole thing becomes and holistic has become such a nauseating word, but it's really what. <laughs> it's really what we're aiming for is something that a space that is there for you to cultivate yourself for self transformation. If you want to become a better version of yourself in as many domains as possible, that's what we'd like to provide. And the difficulty is that we can only provide it in a few domains at a time because we're limited, right? And where, you Mm -hmm. know, I might be good at a couple of things, but I'm not good at everything else. So Mm -hmm. um, we're just trying to, provide some access points to that concept and then the direction that people take it um, for themselves is up to them. And ultimately that's what I'd love to see is a bit more input from the students and that's happening too, where they're sharing their skills and they're sharing the, the, the domains in which they've been transformed um, through their own practices. And that starts getting feed, fed back into the community. So it becomes a real community, um, not just 
we don't just label ourselves a community, which happens a lot. Like I want it to be the community of people that you turn to when you have an issue, uh, yeah. need help. That's what, that's what we're striving for. So we'll see what happens in the next few years. Yeah. Well, very nicely re- expressed. And, um, you know, I'm really looking forward to re-listening back to our chat. I think we, gosh, we covered so, so many topics, um, in the, in the last hour or so. Um, I guess for anyone who would be, interested in connecting with you, you know, asking a few questions, maybe they would love to continue the conversation with something that they picked up from our conversation as well. What's the best way to, to get in touch? So the website is praxis.com.au, P-R-A-K-S-I-S. Uh, and then we're at Praxis Canberra on Facebook and Instagram. So hit us up either on the, through the website, there's a contact link and you can see what we're doing. Follow us on, on the social media sites and maybe hit us up through Instagram if you want to get in touch. Um, that's how you and I make contact. And mm. this is really awesome. Thanks so much for your time. Like, I appreciate you carving out the time and, and having a nice in-depth conversation. It's been awesome. Yeah, definitely. I, I really enjoyed it. And, you know, I would love to continue the conversation. Yeah. And another time either recorded or non-recorded. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of things that I, I think I'd love to discover more depth in there from and just discuss it out. That sounds good. Let's stay in touch. Yeah, definitely. Well, um, I'll end it here. Thanks guys for, for listening once again. Um, and thank you, Thomas, for yeah. being on this episode. That's a wrap. That's episode 12. Thanks once again to Tom for joining me for that chat. And if you want to check out any more of his work, please go to his website, praxis.com.au. That's P R A K sis.com.au and thanks once again for sticking around all this way all the way to the very end to listen to another episode really excited to bring you more and exciting guests Um, i've got a few exciting ones lined up coming soon so tune in once again next week that's when the next episode will come out Uh, you will find it again once on itunes spotify and if you enjoy this podcast please remember to share it with a friend it really helps me distribute the uh the work out there and helps promote the guys as well that come on this podcast so don't hesitate either to reach out to any of the guests uh through their contact details and don't hesitate to reach out to me as well so you can find me on instagram at P. that's at p-h-a-o-n-p Thanks once again for listening, guys. That was another episode of The Passive Hang, and we're out.